This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We've been reading about the amazing run in the value of cryptocurrency Bitcoin in the last year, but there are many people who are skeptical as to the long-term value of it. And there is a worry that investments that people have made in the last year could lose some or all of its value rather quickly. A new book, though, looks at cryptocurrency in general. Did you know the fact that there are a variety of different types out there and not just Bitcoin? The book by Jack Tater and Chris Berniski is titled Crypto Assets, the Innovator's Investor and the Innovative Investor's Guide to Bitcoin and Beyond. Uh, Jack is an angel investor and advisor to startups in the cryptocurrency sector, and he joins us now. Jack, welcome. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. I, for a lot of people that, that listen to us that don't have uh, really the hold still on what Bitcoin is, uh, you start out your book with a little bit of a historical perspective on Bitcoin and, and how it really got it. Can you give us the, the Reader's Digest version uh, of how Bitcoin really got going? Sure, no problem. It's What's interesting about, about the start of Bitcoin is that there were many attempts, not many, but a number of attempts prior to come up with a digital currency, prior to the creation of the white paper and the software, which was created by a uh, person by the name of um, Satoshi Nakamoto, who we have no idea who they are. But we spent a lot of time taking a look at this. And in the book, we actually feel that it grew out of the financial crisis of 2008, which was when the software was created by this uh, anonymous person. And we think it was in response really to the financial um, crisis and also to create a new monetary system and monetary structure that was a little bit more democratic and more decentralized and didn't have a lot of those central points of authority, which caused a lot of the problems with the financial crisis. Uh, so it, we really see Bitcoin growing out of the financial space, and uh, that's why we, we wanted to focus on the book, addressing it from the financial and also investment standpoint, as well as the technology innovation that it is. And, and that's one of the interesting things is that there's even a distinction in terms of using the word Bitcoin when you have it as a lowercase b at the outset and having it as a capital B in terms of the actual the, the software end of things. Yes, it's very inter it is interesting because Bitcoin with a capital B stands for the platform. Uh, and in essence, the Bitcoin blockchain, but the platform that exists, which which um, there are things that have been built off of it. There have been forks off of it. Uh, but the currency that is sold is a small B Bitcoin. And so the currency is referred to as a small B. Uh, so there is a distinction there. And uh, and it's not so much it's not intentional. I think people need to understand this. it's not intentional. The people in the Bitcoin community aren't intentionally trying to confuse people. Right. We're just really trying to put uh, some put some clarity to or a lot of the taxonomy that's involved there. So how many different types uh, of cryptocurrency are there out there right now? When we first wrote the book and finished the book in March of last year, I think we were looking at about 700 different wow. uh, crypto assets. Wow. Now, now you're looking at uh, 13, 1400. It seems to be growing exponentially. We saw a real increase 
uh, over the last year with a lot of initial coin offerings coming out and a lot of new crypto assets coming forward. Uh, but, yeah, you have the ability to invest in about 1,300 of them. Uh, one of the problems is the, the user experience isn't all that great with buying these currencies. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people just kind of uh, gravitate towards the larger currencies, which are easier to trade, uh, like Bitcoin, uh, Litecoin, uh, Ethereum, and now what we're seeing, uh, Ripple rising as well. So, uh, and and actually, Ripple making a little bit news. Of, uh, and these are our investments that that do have the potential of going up and down quickly. They're talking about uh, Ripple today going down some thirty uh, percent. And 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 I ask that also because you have just a, a mindset, a different mindset by you know what we see here in the United States surrounding cryptocurrency to what you will see in China which has said that you know that uh the the cryptocurrency is something that they do not want in their country uh Israel you know with a with an announcement saying that that bitcoin is an asset and not a currency so i, I mean there's still a lot of kind of a feeling out process on this correct well, that's very true, and that's why we spend time in the book. And I think one of the things that we really wanted to do with the book was to really define the taxonomy of crypto assets, what we call crypto assets, because everyone refers to them uh, as cryptocurrencies. And right. there's not 1,300 cri- cryptocurrencies. A cryptocurrency is something like a Bitcoin, which can be used as a currency. But then there are assets like Ethereum, which we don't see as a currency, but we see that as a crypto commodity. And then we see certain uh, application tokens uh, that are crypto tokens. So we felt there was a need to to define them. But also, I think one thing that's important to understand, you've seen a lot of press around like China outlawing it and yeah. government stepping in. I, I think I think there's a limited amount that governments can do to these assets because they're decentralized. It's, it's kind of like the horse is out of the stable already. I mean, these these assets are being created and distributed around the world. There's There's a limitation to what governments can do. But what governments can do, like they did in China, is step forward and shut down exchanges where these coins can be converted into currency. And it's not so much just shutting them down for good. They're just trying to get their arms around some of the KYC and AML and try and define who owns this asset. And I think that's something you're going to see governments step up and do. And that's maybe where they have a place to to be involved is to is to better define who owns this asset uh, for reasons of taxation and things along those lines. So that's where you're seeing some of the government step in. But but because of the way these these assets are created in a decentralized manner, there really is a limitation to what countries and and government regulations can do t- to stop them. So are you expecting the well, let me ask you this from this perspective. How how do you see a lot of cryptocurrency playing out if if it's not going to be regulated by governments? How do you see it playing out because a, a lot of people have this wonder of of what it actually will be in the years to come. Well, I think I, you know they're all very different. They are all very different. You know, Bitcoin. We can say Bitcoin is is uh, is a currency, but yet it has some it has some limitations in terms of transaction speed and and things along those lines. So it's not the optimal uh, form for transaction. Other people will say it's a great store of value, something along the line of gold. Um, and it can be the basis for a lot of these different assets. So, so they all have their different uses. I mean, I honestly believe. I mean, I said there's 1,300 uh, to- um, assets out there. 
you know, there is a handful of those which are really worthwhile, which are really things that people should look at as investments. But I think what we're seeing is we're seeing some of these new assets being created that are very, very valid business cases and very, very valid business applications that are being built on the blockchain that are going to be companies that five, right. ten years from now we're going to be using on a, on a on a wide basis. So I think it's very similar to what the internet was years ago. This is a right. new technology. Companies are being built on it, and there's going to be a big shakeout. But there will be some companies that will survive uh, and thrive uh, using this technology. So how good of of a startup kind of sector is this right now? Well, it's a very hot sector right now because yeah. what's happening what's happening right now is is as kind of as a, a, a counter counterplay to the IPO funding mechanism. Uh, there is something being done in the crypto asset space called initial coin offerings. And yeah. basically what's happening is that companies are coming forward with a business plan, a business concept, and they're raising money for it uh, through an initial coin offering, a very democratic way to say to everybody, come on, buy in, and you buy this token, and, uh, and buy it at a certain price, and as the utility of the token increases, it will raise in value. Now, that's playing to a lot of the crowdfunding regulations that we've seen come into play. I think it's also a bit of a threat to the regular capital market funding systems that we've seen with IPOs and things along those lines. So I think we're seeing a lot of innovative companies coming out finding easy ways to get funding through this ICO method. But in conjunction with that and the ability to bring some companies forward, the the other side of that is that there's a lot of companies that are being created that are not going to be beneficial for investors. And that's where I think there needs to be some regulation to come into play to uh, or and some education on the investor side to know whether or not this is a good investment to be involved in. And I think you're going to start to see government get more involved in regulating these these initial coin offerings, and we're already yeah. seeing that um, with with in the in the U.S. And there are some regulations out there, like the Howey test and things along those lines, which we talk about in the book as ways to discern whether or not this ICO is a valid security or is a valid investment. The fast-growing area, and it's an area that really requires that if people are going to put their money forward in it, they've got to be educated in it. Well, is it a surprise to you that we are starting to see Bitcoin, at least the futures, being traded on various exchanges here in the U.S.? Well, I've always felt, and and I, I have to I have to state here that I've spent uh, 20 years in the financial services industry, and I was actually a financial advisor for a period of time. So I'm not one of those young technology guys who's looking at this space as, as a real geek. Right. I, I come to this from the investment and, and the financial standpoint. And I've always felt that uh, once we get away from this talk, which I think is very is not constructive at all, the Jamie Dimon saying it's a fraud, it's a Ponzi scheme, well, once we get away from that and realize that that's not, that's not the case, and you start to take a look at what's going on here, I think there are some valid ways for people to view this as an investment and put it in to their portfolio, um, potentially put it into their portfolio. So I'm right. not surprised that we're starting to see financial companies step up and say, we've got to figure out how to allow investors to get involved in this in, in a much more user-friendly manner. I mean, right now, it's not, it is not the easiest thing in the world to buy these assets. Right. It really is not. So, so for people to buy a futures market, buy into the futures market, I think is good. I also think it's going to be very important 
uh, and is going to grow the, the whole sector when we start to see more ETFs, more Bitcoin ETFs, crypto ETFs come out that uh, are make it easy for investors to get involved in this. So I, I've always thought this was a mat, only a matter of time uh, before Wall Street figured out how to make money on this and provide investment vehicles uh, for the individual investor. And I think we're starting to see that now in the futures market was obviously the the first first way to really bring that forward. Well, uh, and we're talking with uh, Jack Tater, who is a co-author of the book Crypto Assets, the Innovative Investor's Guide to Bitcoin and Beyond. You're more than welcome to join in with your comments or questions about crypto assets, cryptocurrency. You're more than welcome to at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I, I find it interesting that when you're and up until a couple of years ago and to be flat out honest i was still trying to get a handle you know on crypto assets and cryptocurrency in general and i'm still learning you know as we go do you find that that's going to be the norm with a majority of people not necessarily the people that are that are closest in the sector but that's going to be the norm for a lot of people here in the u.s or in other parts of the world in the years to come well, I think it's it is not an easy thing to understand, Dan. I mean, I, you know, I guess I'm an older guy here, so the technology aspect of it I can I can understand relatively well. But but to really recognize what's going on here, you know, you've got cryptography involved, you've got uh, developers involved, you've got all these social networks involved, you've got you know one asset is doing this and another asset's trading on this exchange. It is not easy at all to to understand. So it does require that people become educated on this. But I do believe, and I'll go back to my point earlier uh, about the Jamie Diamonds and the people in the financial sector who have been basically poo-pooing this and calling it a fraud. Yeah, they haven't done they haven't done any justice to the people who uh, who want to look into this and want to take take a look at this. They've been trying to dismiss them to protect their status quo to a certain extent, but they've also been deterring them from becoming educated on this and. And accordingly, they've missed a lot of profit that has been made in this. So there is a need for education. I also believe that there is a major need within the industry to simplify it for people. The user experience of buying these crypto assets, as I've said before, is not great. So someone needs to come up with something to make that easy. And I think we're also seeing more education efforts out there to try and educate people on this. Uh, When we first started writing the book, I mean, we were just – we were amazed at how little was out there right. about this, and yet it was traded, you know, billions of dollars traded throughout the world. So, so our feeling was we didn't want to put something out that just educated people on what it is. We wanted to really take them into how you should look at this as an investment. And, yeah. and if you're familiar with the book, I mean, we even talk about valuation and all of those types of things. Uh, and and in, in reality – that's still growing. I mean, we tried to put a foundation there that I think will continue to grow. And I think it's going to be an area for academia and for analysts to look at to try and understand how do we value these assets? How do we discuss this with investors? So I think there's a need for education, not only on the side of investors, but also on the side of uh, professionals and even academics out there. Which is interesting because uh, um, here at the University of Pennsylvania, I know at other schools, the the thought process behind blockchain technology is obviously growing uh, quite often. And you bring up, and it's interesting that a lot of people maybe don't even realize that that blockchain was kind of born out of Bitcoin and not the other way around, correct? 
Well, that's true. The Bitcoin blockchain was the first example of of the blockchain technology. And, you know, we do hear a lot of people say, oh, I like the blockchain, but I don't like Bitcoin. And, and it's kind of difficult to separate the two. And we talk about pr- pu- private and public blockchains. And you've seen a lot of companies who say, I'm going to bring in blockchain technology, right. and they try and do it uh, in a manner, in a, in a private manner. That So they bring in a decentralized manner of doing it, but they're still controlling it through a central authority. That's not really what the blockchain was created to do. It was created to be a decentralized uh, platform. And Bitcoin is actually the reward system that keeps that ecosystem running. Because if you've got a system that's running a blockchain throughout the world on thousands and thousands of computers throughout the world, uh, for them to run that software and to keep the ecosystem healthy, they've got to be rewarded. Right. So Bitcoin becomes that reward them to keep the system running. That's why it runs throughout the world. I mean, the, the blockchain technology is an amazing technology, without a doubt. But when people try and bring it in to a private entity, an enterprise entity, uh, you lose a little bit of that. And and this is this is where I think it's very interesting for people to to see the real power of the blockchain versus what we're seeing some companies doing with it, which becomes nothing more than just a new database tool for many companies. So I think that's still an area um, that people uh, should be looking at. But there is a distinction to be made between private and public blockchains, and Bitcoin was the first implementation of this public blockchain. Jack Taylor is the co-author of the book Crypto Assets, the Innovative Investor's Guide to Bitcoin and Beyond. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So when you are, are speaking with people who are thinking and investing in these types of crypto assets, what are what are some of the really the, the, the important things you try and relate to them so that they have a little bit of a better understanding and they can see and, and potentially feel the value that a lot of people are seeing right now. Well, what I did back in 2013, which which is far history in terms of Bitcoin, is I started to look at Bitcoin from my own portfolio. And I was, I was writing on retirement at the time. Right. And when I started to look at it, uh, I started to say, okay, well, if I'm going to invest in this, understanding asset allocation, modern portfolio theory, all those types of things. How can I fit this into my portfolio? And I started to view it as an alternative investment uh, and an alternative asset. And for those people who are familiar with portfolio theory, and this is what I stress to people who are looking to invest in this, mm-hmm. is is you don't bet the ranch on this. Right. Yeah. You view this as an alternative asset in your overall portfolio. And this is perhaps where I'm a little um, different from other people who are very engaged in this space. I view this uh, from the financial planning aspect and asset allocation and all those types of things. So so I, I view it and I and I discuss with people that this is something that you can look at as your alternative asset, you know, maybe that 5 to 10% in your portfolio. And you put that in there like, you know, maybe it replaces gold or maybe it replaces REITs or something along those lines that you've had in there. Mm-hmm. And you put it into there. That, I think, is a prudent uh, investment approach versus just saying, hey, you know what, I, I, you know, I got – I got $50,000. I have an overall portfolio of 100000 I'm going to put the 50000 into Bitcoin. To, to me, even with the gains that it's made, to me, that's not smart. I think you've got to always fall back to, even with an asset like crypto assets, you've got to fall back 
to proper investment portfolio analysis. Right. Uh, when when we wrote when we wrote the book, Chris and I wrote the book. Chris had done a lot of work with Art Laffer, um, the sure. creator yeah. of the Laffer curve, and uh, on on his valuation models. And I had done work with uh, Harry Markowitz, who was the father of modern portfolio theory. So so we came to this space and we came to the book. Uh, really speaking to some of the leaders in the whole financial planning and asset allocation space. So that's one thing that we want to really drive home to people, that this is an investment, but accordingly it has to be treated um, properly and prudently as an investment, and you have to look at it in terms of your overall investment portfolio. I think So when I discuss this with people, I always put it into that context first. Not so much in the performance that Bitcoin has had, and you know, if you put a dollar into Bitcoin, it'd be worth ten million dollars right now. Right. That that to me is is not what's important to an investor. What's important to an investor is understanding how it properly fits into their portfolio and their asset allocation. But it's probably not a, totally a surprise when you see the rush to for people, and, and we've seen it obviously in the last uh, several months, the rush of people to want to kind of jump on the bandwagon right now because of uh, of these valuations of, of, of Bitcoin that have skyrocketed in the last 12 months. Oh, without a doubt, Dan, without a doubt. And, and I mean, you look at this, and it has all the it has all the earmarks of 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 a bubble at certain points, um, and there are certain assets that I do believe are in are in a bubble right now. Uh, you mentioned one of them earlier, Ripple. I yeah. think Ripple is potentially something that could be in a major bubble because if you look at some of the fundamentals related to it, um, it can be that way. But but there are other assets, even like a Bitcoin, which you could potentially say maybe is not in a bubble. So all these assets. You have to view them individually. And, and yes, as a group, the whole crypto asset space has risen, and it's, and it's probably due for a correction or something along those lines. But when that correction happens, that's not going to kill what's going on with it. Right. That is going to, I think it's going to be very similar to what you saw um, with the Internet. I mean, we, we saw a lot of companies that just people realized, look, that these were not valid companies. But out of that, grew Amazon and grew some of these other companies on the platform of the internet. And I think you're going to see something similar with that um, with on, on, the, on blockchain and some of these other assets and mm. these businesses that are being created there. So, yeah, without a doubt, you can see people rushing to it because of the game. Yeah. But I think you've got to do this in an educated and with your eyes open manner. And, and one of the things that, that, that upsets me a bit is that, is that the individual investor is getting really no direction. I mean, we've sure, seen yeah. firms now saying, you can't advise your clients on this space. You can't talk to them about this, uh, which I don't think is a good thing. I think they've got to become educated and be able to talk to their clients about it, even if it's, even if it's to tell them in an educated manner why it's not right for them. Great having you with us today, Jack. Thank you very much. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The book is Crypto Assets, The Innovative Investor's Guide to Bitcoin and Beyond, written by Jack uh, Tater and Chris Berniski. Uh, it is available in bookstores and online now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.